Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Standing backstage, I was just like, man, there's a lot of us here who don't know that God's working in their lives. Whether it's in your work, whether it's in the craziness of 2021, whether it's in your marriage, God's definitely working. And I hope and I pray that if you don't know it, if you don't see it, that you would. It doesn't have to be today, but that God would reveal himself to you in those areas where you maybe feel a little shaken, a little alone. Uh, Well, good morning. My name is Joel. If you don't know me, and I'm our worship pastor here at Friendship Church, and that means I have the wonderful opportunity of overseeing uh, both campuses and the worship ministries at each campus, and so because of that, you don't always get to see me. Uh, Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm leading, sometimes I'm drumming, sometimes I just get to stand in the congregation and hold my little girls and stand next to my wife and worship alongside you as family, and uh, I'm definitely thankful for the opportunity that I have to come and speak here today. Uh, Usually the opportunities I have for teaching revolve around our weekly podcasts that we do, if you're listening to that, or if you're reading our blogs that come out once a week, or even the Hymn Project videos you've been seeing here on Sundays. So today is a treat for me, and uh, hopefully it's a treat for you. So today we're going to be talking about wisdom and marriage. And when Pastor Kenny and Pastor Matt asked me, hey Joel, will you speak on the topic of marriage I was a little hesitant to say yes because I know this Tools for Wisdom series is based on Proverbs and I really would rather preach out of the book Song of Solomon because it has a lot more to work with when it comes to trying to hit on your wife or your future wife if you're still hunting. Seriously, Song of Solomon has a lot to work with. Like, hey lady, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Anyone use that one? (laughs) Matt. Oh, man. Uh, Hola, chica. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. What? Okay, so maybe those are a little too old-fashioned for some of you. So here are some more non-scriptural but still Christian-based pickup lines that you can try. Uh, Hey, girl, I'm not always prophetic, but I can see us together. Hey, lady, if, you know, if we were around when Noah and the Ark were here, you and me, we'd be a pair. This one requires a little dramatization. Oh, hey, girl, I think one of my ribs belongs to you. And this is my favorite. Hey, is it a sin that you stole my heart? That one's the cute one. Yep. Okay, so I don't think any of those pickup lines will actually work. um, Unless you're Matt and you use the uh, leaping down the slopes of Gilead. (laughs) Uh, But I think if we do lean into God's word, there's a lot of wisdom to glean as we look through the Proverbs concerning marriage and The goal today is to not check out because you're already married or to not check out because you're not yet married, uh, but you think you've got it figured out. You think you're going to be the perfect spouse because, honestly, I've been both of those people and I've learned oftentimes, uh, most times actually, the hard way that I'm not a perfect spouse and that I wasn't perfectly ready to be a spouse. 
So regardless if you're married, single and looking, or happily single, the principles we're going to look at today will apply to anyone. We're going to look at a few different areas concerning uh, marriage and where the Bible has some wisdom, wisdom to offer. Area number one, you're, you are single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. Area number two, you're married, but you need these reminders. And area number three, you need Jesus. And if you know Letitia Harnon from this campus, she would say, y'all need Jesus. All right, so you are single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. Well, guess what? You are in luck because Proverbs teaches us how to choose a spouse. Whoa! Oh, no. That came too early. That came too early. Let's back up. Area number one. You're single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. Okay, so the first, uh, first year in my college career, halfway through it, my high school girlfriend from a couple years tore my heart to pieces and broke up with me. And uh, so interesting enough, at that time, I had also fully surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and I decided, you know what, forget women, I'm going to focus my life on becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and try and prepare myself to be a better or to be that perfect spouse come one day. Well, by the time my wife Hannah and I were actually married, I actually thought that I was the perfect spouse. Wow, was I wrong. <laughs> the first year of marriage is super tough regardless, but it's significantly more difficult when the husband in that relationship thinks he's a perfect spouse, right? Uh, anyway, after a few semesters, had gone by of marriage, I can humbly say that I've graduated the Hanna-Farber University with a degree in letting go of my pride and serving my wife humbly. And I have this diploma to prove it. Yes. I actually spent time making that. There's not like a template I could use online to get the perfection that I desired. Uh, and in case you're curious, uh, my wife will have sign-ups after the service for fall semester coming up in a few weeks. <laughs> All right. So you're single and ready to mingle or preparing to mingle one day. Well, you're in luck because Proverbs teaches us how to choose a spouse. And not only that, let's look at it from a vantage point of trying to be a spouse that someone else would actually want to choose. Don't choose a spouse based on good looks. Our eyes, while preparing for marriage, should not be focused on the mirror, at least not in a way that's focused on our outward appearance, right? We see here in Proverbs eleven twenty two, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Now picture this golden ring. It's all clean. It's nice and shiny. You want it. It's beautiful, probably worth a lot of money. Now picture that same golden ring and put it inside of a pig snout, right? <laughs> Nasty. There's mucus, there's dirt, there's other things in a pig pen. Which one of those rings would you rather have? Because the attractiveness of the golden ring is found insignificant by its presence in this pig snout, right, in the same way that the attractiveness of a woman or of a handsome man is insignificant if their character lacks discretion. Moral of the story is to 
not choose a spouse based on good looks. Don't choose a spouse based on money. Dave Ramsey Solutions did a study in 2017, and it was in an effort to gain an understanding of personal finance behaviors and attitudes, as well as how married couples communicate and relate about money. You want to know what's interesting? Money is the number one issue that married couples fight about. And fights about money are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. I think if we were to spend some time thinking, we would probably figure both of those things out without conducting a study of several thousand people. But let's see what Proverbs has to say about this. In Proverbs 15, verses 16 through 17, it says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This passage is saying that money is low on this values ladder that we have concerning marriage and concerning finding a spouse or building our home. And it's not saying that you need to be super poor to be married, and it's not saying that you need to go and find the poorest person that you can find and marry them. What it's saying is that we need to be looking to God as our provider. Because whether or not a person has a lot of money, has a lot of stuff, can provide a comfortable lifestyle for you, is a bad way to choose a spouse. And in the same way, when looking at ourselves, we shouldn't strive after money thinking it's what makes us a good spouse. A good spouse pursues God above all things. Choose a spouse based on the pursuit of God. Our eyes should be fixed on Jesus and our relationship with him. And in the same way, the spouse we choose should be pursuing Jesus. Now, woman, let's look at this proverb when it comes to looking for a husband. Proverbs 20, verse 6 and 7 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. I like how the message puts verse 6 here in this passage. It says, lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? Now, this is the age-old dilemma that we see played out in far too many TV shows or movies where there's a bunch of uh, ladies sitting around a table talking and they're all complaining, where can I find a good man these days, right? And while this verse doesn't say where, it does say what to look for. In verse 7, it tells us to look for a righteous man who walks in his integrity. Because when you look at a man's character and his behavior and his actions, they're going to be good factors or good indicators of telling what that man is really like. It's easy for anyone to offer up lip service and claim to be loyal and loving, but when you actually look at their behavior, character, and actions, it will show their heart. And a heart that's hopefully set on God. Now men, look for this in a wife. What? Hey, that's my wife. Who did that? Pastor Kenny. Oh, man. Okay, I did it. Got to get some marriage points while I can. 
And, uh, well, anyway, that's my wife, and uh, I do love her a lot. She's so others-focused and compassionate, and definitely a 10 out of 10, a great mommy and a provider, and such a hard worker. I caught her, we're, we're living with our in, my in-laws right now, uh, while well, we transitioned from home, and I caught her outside one day, helping her papa move some hay bales. Got a strong wife. And, and I share all of this just to say she's my Proverbs 31 gal. Which brings us to Proverbs 31.30. So you can't have my wife, but men, look for this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 31 is perhaps one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that we have that points to the qualities of a godly woman. It's like 20 verses long, and they all, it goes through all these different qualities to look for, and it ends with verse 31. But Proverbs 30, 130 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, and a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's the most important. Because a godly woman may have charm, she may have beauty, but these are secondary to her godliness. And the question anyone should be asking as they're looking for a spouse is, are they totally committed to Jesus? Because we live in this day where many people go to church, and we live in this day where many people claim to be a Christian, but unfortunately many of those many people do not truly know the loving, gracious, merciful Jesus Christ. Are you being diligent and looking for a spouse that's totally committed to Jesus? Area number two. You're married, but you need these reminders. Reminder number one, to be faithful. Proverbs 5.15 says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. 20 verse 6, as we just read, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And 27 8 says, like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. This is perhaps one of the most important reasons that we need to choose a spouse carefully. Now, this is my opinion, but I believe that if we choose a spouse who is faithful to God, they are far more likely to be a faithful spouse to us. And these passages show the importance of a husband or a wife who is dedicated to their spouse, their home, and their family because on the flip side, we see devastation comes from being unfaithful. We don't have to look very far to see the consequences of unfaithfulness around us, whether it's in our own life, whether it's in our family, our friends, and it's certainly obvious in the world around us. We see people's lives ripped apart by affairs. In an effort to protect the innocence of children, kids often grow up with divorced parents due to unfaithfulness, yet the kids were only left to deduce that it was due to bitterness. Or they were told it's because mom and dad just don't love each other anymore. Maybe the affair is purely emotional, it's not physical, but that's still just as damaging. And we even see husbands and wives check out on each other <sighs> becoming totally dedicated to work or friends or entertainment. But what we see here is that the consequences of this unfaithfulness are so, so great, and they can last for generations far beyond what we'll ever see here in our own lifetime. 
But the benefits and the joys of faithfulness will always surpass being unfaithful. I want to encourage us to choose God, your spouse, and your family. Reminder number two, to be selfless. All right, deep breath, that part was heavy. And so in an effort to find a story that would work at this part of the sermon, I went to my wife and I was like, hey, hon, can you tell me an area of our marriage where I was selfish? And she thought for a while, maybe just a couple of minutes. And do you know what she said? Any guesses? I can't think of a time. (laughs) Huzzah! Come on! No way. You don't have to know me that well to know that that's just not true. And if I would have given her hours, maybe even days, not minutes, I can guarantee she would have come back to me with this list, right? Because, husbands, you know this, and future husbands, you don't know this yet, but you will, and you need to know it, wives remember everything. (laughs) Say it with me, wives remember everything. Wives remember everything. So true. Uh, but the moral of the story is to not be selfish. Proverbs 21.9, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21.19, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and, fret, quarrelsome and fretful woman. And 26.21, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. We're not meant to be quarrelsome people. Quarrels is a funny-sounding word, but it's like arguments or disagreements or fights, but it's the odd version of those synonyms that's about disagreements between people who know each other. And so it's easy to see why, then, it's a fitting term when it comes to describing marriage and disagreements that happen between two people who know each other very well. But that doesn't mean that our marriage should be a place for quarreling. Because the quarrelsome person, they want their way, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. Sometimes that looks like a mildly heated discussion that you see. Sometimes it's yelling, and sometimes it's through the Minnesota way that we call passive-aggressive manipulation. But at the end of the day, it's caused by someone who's seeking their own way in the marriage. The book of James says that quarrels are all about selfishness. In chapter 4, four verses 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James is saying here that the root of the quarrel and the quarrelsome person is a desire for what they want, and they want what they want, and they will fight, manipulate, gossip, whatever it do it takes to get their way. But the funny thing is about all of that is when you look at marriage and the relationship of marriage in and of itself, it's filled with more than any opportunity that you'll have to choose between selfishness and selflessness. Ephesians 4 verse 2 reminds us to be completely humble 
and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Friends, that's a reminder each and every moment. Put one another first. There's this book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Eggdricks. And to summarize it, there's this love and respect cycle that he shares. And basically in that cycle, men, they desire to be respected. And out of being respected, they offer love to their wives. And women desire to be loved. And out of being loved, they will respect their husbands. And you get this nice cycle going when those things are happening in perfect harmony. But what happens is when a wife isn't feeling loved, she starts to lack showing respect to her husband. And when a husband isn't feeling respected, he may stop showing love to his wife. And you get these two selfish love cycles. It's a pretty simple concept, but it takes both husband and wife to remember to put each other first. Because marriage is not about ourselves. And marriages founded in selfishness will only find their love and respect cycles spiraling out of control. Husbands and men, you have a unique role in this cycle. Because you lead your wife, you're called to protect her and to love her unconditionally. And this part isn't in the book, but I always like to add one item to this love and respect cycle. And that item is an umbrella. Over the entire cycle, men, you hold the umbrella because when it rains, when the storms come, when you feel this cycle breaking down, you protect the cycle. You're first to step up to put it back into place by continuing to love your wife unconditionally. And the best way that my prideful self has learned to do this is with Jesus. Area number three, you need Jesus. If we think about all of the sermons that we've had this summer in this Tools for Wisdom series, it all comes back to a basic premise that we see in Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we're not submitted to Jesus, if we're not living for him, If we're not fully surrendered to Christ, I just don't see how we can be or claim to be a good spouse because we do not truly know the true love of Jesus Christ. To be a good spouse, we must be willing to let God have his way in our lives. We look at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We cannot be the spouse God wants us to be unless we let God make us the spouse he wants us to be. And in the same way, we cannot be the person God wants us to be unless we let God make us the person he wants us to be. Out of our own heart, out of our own understanding, out of our own plans, when it has to do with us and our own, it's far more easier to be selfish, to be unfaithful, and to live for things of this world that just don't matter. But when we give all of those things up and we ask God to have his way in us, it changes everything about us, especially who we are 
as a spouse. With all of that said, I want to just take a moment to reflect on these questions. If you're not married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your life and maybe as it relates to a future marriage? If you're married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your marriage? If you're not married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your life and maybe as it relates to a future marriage? And if you're married, what do you need to do to make room for God's way in your marriage? Our worship team is going to come out here. And as they come, I want to invite us to bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I want to invite you to do this with me. I realize that there are people here today with marriages all across the spectrum, from great to good to bad. And regardless of where your marriage is in that spectrum, God wants to see your marriage renewed, reinvigorated, and reinvested as Jesus as your foundation. With your eyes closed this morning and heads bowed, Friends, now is the time to renew the vow that you made to your spouse and to God. Doesn't matter if it's a great, good, or bad marriage. And if you're single, I encourage you to do this too if you wish to be a spouse someday. I'm not asking you to say this out loud, but in the quiet of your heart, in the quiet of your mind, would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, today I am reminded of the vow I made before you and my spouse. And yet again today, I know that I have not been a perfect partner. In your presence, Lord, I offer you my solemn vow to be a faithful and selfless partner in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in joy as well as in sorrow. I promise to love my spouse unconditionally, to support them in their goals, to honor and respect them, to laugh and cry with them, and to cherish them for as long as we both shall live. Please remind me of this vow each and every day.